Hello, and welcome to the Her Head in Films podcast. I'm your host, my name is Caitlin. In this podcast, I share my personal musings on cinema. If you're new to the podcast and you've never listened before, you might be wondering who I am. As I said, my name is Caitlin. I'm a writer. I'm a dreamer. I'm 27 years old. Um, I have a mad burning ridiculous passion for cinema that developed over the last few years um, and I live in a very rural area in the United States and um, I don't really have any kind of way to talk about cinema with anybody I'm pretty isolated and there's not really a cinema culture around here or a literary culture. Books are my other really big passion in life. So I needed an outlet to talk about film, to talk about my emotions and my feelings and the way that film affects me. And so that is the function of this podcast. If you are a returning listener, I'm really glad that you're listening again and I appreciate all your support. Um, Today's episode is going to be about a German film called Phoenix. It's directed by Christian Petzold and it came out in 2014. Before I get to talking about the film, um, as some of you who are recurring listeners may know, sometimes at the beginning of the podcast I'll talk about more general things, but it usually circles around to the podcast itself or to the subject of the podcast. So, I'm recording this podcast the day before Father's Day, Um, so it's June 2017, and as some of you know, I lost my father at an early age. I was 16 years old when he died. It was in 2006, so it's been 11 years now, although it's still a very raw and painful thing for me. It's something that I write a lot about. It's something that I talk a lot about. If you ever listen to other episodes of this podcast, I do talk about grief and I do talk about my father. So, um, it's interesting because Father's Day, at least this year, it hasn't really been affecting me as much as I thought it would. Um, he died May 29th, 2006 and then his birthday is also in June. So I tend to have more issues with his death day and his birthday. Those tend to conjure really difficult memories and and um, I struggle with a lot of feelings of aching and mourning. But for some reason Father's Day, maybe it hasn't sunk in yet, maybe I'll feel it tomorrow, but I was thinking about my father today I was thinking about how in my life when I was young we were very close because we were very similar. He was very I think sensitive and he was very shy and introverted the way I was. My mom is like a very gregarious outgoing person and I was close to her and I'm still extremely extremely close to her now. But I would say I was a daddy's girl, as they say, and I was very close to my father. And I only had 16 years with him, but I did consider him my best friend. And I was a lonely child. I didn't have 
really any friends at all and I still don't. I'm just a really lonely person. I, I must come off so fascinating to all of you, right? <laughs> to the few of you who are listening to this podcast. Um, so my dad was more than a father to me. He was, I consider him a soulmate. I consider him a best friend. I consider him sort of the love of my life next to my mother. So I would talk to him a lot. He would, um, he would spend time with me. I don't know if all fathers do that. You know, some don't tend to spend a lot of time with their children. And we would talk and we would have conversations and we would, um, I would, tell him things that I felt and I would tell him about my dreams to be a writer and um because that's first and foremost what I consider myself to be even though I have this film podcast I I don't have any specialty in film I went to college and I studied literature and um so I have a bachelor's degree in that so I don't have any kind of experience or any kind of um, specialty in film so this is something that sort of developed later in my life the last maybe five six years but I would talk to him about my dreams and about things I was reading and I think sometimes I would share my writing with him so he was someone that made me feel loved he was someone who made me feel visible and seen and valued in a world where I don't feel that way anymore and probably never will feel that way again. Um, he was he was there and he like I said he made me feel heard and I was thinking today and it made me cry actually when I had this revelation I realized that this podcast is almost a substitute in a way for those conversations with my father and that relationship with my father in terms of this podcast making me feel like I have a voice or making me feel heard or making me feel um, valued as a person as though my thoughts and opinions do matter. I'm not saying my mom doesn't listen to me. Of course, of course she does, you know. It's just a different kind of relationship that I have with my dad. And it was so brief you know in many ways only 16 years so I was just thinking of that today how this podcast has sort of become a substitute in a way or a replacement in terms of that dialogue or or just having just having the space to talk and to share the way I feel about certain things and in this case it's films but um you know, if, you, if you're listening to this on Father's Day or you're listening to it after Father's Day, you know, I know everybody has really complicated relationships with their father sometimes, but I was actually really fortunate and I had a pretty special, beautiful father um, who made me who I am. He made me sensitive and compassionate and empathetic to other people. And losing him was catastrophic and it pretty much destroyed me in every possible way but I go on and I keep surviving somehow and I've made it 11 years (laughs) I'm not in the greatest shape 11 years later and um 
feel pretty eroded and pretty broken down, but um, I'm here, right? <laughs> I'm here, I'm talking, I'm speaking, I'm trying to be heard, I'm trying to reach out, I'm trying to connect, and I think that matters, and I think that's all I can do. So on to our film, which is Phoenix, which is a superb, superb, excellent film. And it's currently streaming on Netflix, in the at least in the United States. I don't know if it's streaming in other countries. And so if you have Netflix, I feel like you really must see this film. Of course, as I say, usually I will talk about spoilers because I really want to talk about the film and my experience of the film. So maybe maybe watch the film and then if you want to come back to the podcast or if you don't mind if it's spoiled for you or say you've already seen it um, but I do want to warn you that I will go into plot points because I want to have a, a deep discussion about the film and about why it matters to me so this is a very recent film but it's a very interesting and vital film I think in German cinema and I think Christian Petzold who directed it I think he's becoming, he's definitely on my radar, and he's someone who I've become more aware of in, in the last few years. I recently saw his really wonderful film called Barbara, which is about um, a doctor, a female doctor, in East Germany during uh, the time where the Berlin Wall was up. So the GDR, the German Democratic Republic, I think that's what that stands for. Um, so she plays a doctor and that was like a really good film and that came before phoenix but in phoenix it's about the holocaust it's a film about the holocaust and obviously germany probably has a very difficult complex relationship to the holocaust um it stars nina haas as a woman named nelly nelly survives the auschwitz uh death camp. It's both a death camp and a concentration camp. There were two parts or several parts of Auschwitz. Uh, there was the Birkenau um, part which was um, which was basically the death factory where people were gassed and then put in ovens and and uh, cremated. And then there was a work part of the camp uh, where people were basically turned into slave labor and a lot of people died through disease and overwork and malnutrition and terrible living conditions obviously so Nellie comes out of that inferno I guess you could say and she comes out disfigured she has been shot in the face and her face is just completely obliterated and when we see her at the beginning of the film she is wrapped in galls her face is completely wrapped in bandages it's as though her body is a wound and that that wound is both physical and it's psychic or not psychic but emotional psychological and I think it's also the wound of history the wound of the Holocaust in a way the way I think she embodies some of that trauma and that woundedness and um <sighs> The image of her wrapped in the bandages is very reminiscent of a French film called um, Eyes Without a Face. And it also, for me, brought to mind a Japanese film called The Face of Another. 
and this is these both of these films are about people whose faces are covered in bandages and and whose faces are hidden and um it's a very startling thing to see someone wrapped in bandages that way it's i'm not really sure how to describe it it makes them alien in a way like you don't know what to do with them it's it's very haunting i think to see people wrapped in bandages that way and to feel how vulnerable our bodies are to injury and to woundedness and to trauma and so she comes out of the death camp she comes out of auschwitz and she is helped by a friend i think she's a friend or maybe she's a family member called lena and Lena helps her um, find a place to live, or she goes to live with Lena. Lena, I think, had been in Switzerland during the world the war, and so Lena was not actually in a camp, but um, but they're good friends, and she takes care of Nellie, and Nellie undergoes um, reconstructive surgery to. Um, to fix her face so that she is not so disfigured and she can um, she can exist without the bandages and so she comes out of that operation but she looks very different than what she looked like before and she is very fragile when I first watched this film years ago or several years ago I guess in maybe 2015 I thought how I'd never really seen a film depict sort of the the fragility of Holocaust survivors. I mean, this is immediately in the aftermath of World War II. This is, you know, I think they're they're still in Berlin. They're still in Germany, and they're walking amid rubble. I mean, there's not really houses anymore or apartments. It's a completely leveled environment. Everything is in smithereens. And also you get the sense that the bodies of people are in smithereens. And I don't think we talk enough about that. We, especially here in the United States, we have this obsession with a narrative about strength and about overcoming obstacles, about being resilient and about persevering. And I'm not knocking that. I'm not saying that that's not a valid thing. I know that I'm in the minority as a person who's dealing with grief that a lot of people go through loss or they go through grief and mourning and they're able to live and they're able to continue and they're able to be okay and they're very resilient and that's not my story and that's not my narrative and I have a lot of shame surrounding it that I am very fragile that I am unable to cope because I have anxiety and I have depression and I have chronic health issues and chronic pain and so when I see someone like Nellie I think I have a little bit more compassion because I see in Nellie someone who's really struggling who is fragile I mean and in the film, I think Nina Haas, uh, I've said it before, I said it on Twitter, um, Nina really gives a 
career-defining performance in this role. I'm kind of surprised that it didn't get more attention um, because she is very fragile. She's not concerned about looking beautiful. In many of the early scenes, she does not have makeup on. She has, um, you know, redness in her eyes or bags under her eyes. Her hair is basically gray. She looks like she has aged 20, 30, 40 years. Um, I mean, she's really a woman in her 30s, you know, but she looks much older than that. She is just incredibly fragile and incredibly shattered and I think Nina Haas brought that to life and I think Nina did an interview where she talked about her performance a bit and she said that I think she said that she wanted Nellie to have almost sort of a childlike demeanor at the beginning of the film because in in a way she's a child again or she's she's destabilized you know from the violence of the camps and having to confront death and confront horror and I'll say it I'll say the word evil you know I know we don't like to really use these terms of good and evil but for me when it comes to the Holocaust I mean if that's not evil I don't know what is and I would say things like slavery are evil and I would say that's a form of evil you know for me personally even though I'm not religious and I don't necessarily believe in these absolutes or anything, but I, I would say Auschwitz was evil. <laughs> I really would. I, you know, you have people being thrown in pits and burned, and you have hell on earth in that world and in all the death camps of the Holocaust and concentration camps. And I talk about this in, in my other episode about Sophie's Choice, and I'm going to talk a little bit about Phoenix uh, uh, in contrast or in comparison with Sophie's Choice later on. Um, where was I going with that? Oh my god, I just lost my train of thought. Uh, never mind. <laughs> I'm just going to move on. I completely lost my train of thought in that moment. So, Nellie is someone who's very traumatized, and Nina Haas perfectly embodies that trauma and makes it visible on Nellie through her face, through her mannerisms, through the way she walks. She's very unsteady in the way she walks. She's, she's just, she looks terrified most of the time at the beginning especially. So the way that Nellie ended up in the camps, and Nellie's Jewish, um, not every Holocaust film features a protagonist that is Jewish, like Sophie's Choice. Sophie was not Jewish. She was a Catholic Polish woman, but Nellie is. And I think that's important. We tend to, I think, minimize the Jewishness of, of protagonists or certain characters, especially someone like Anne Frank. The Jewishness gets sort of erased. So, um, she is Jewish, and, um, the way she ended up with in Auschwitz was that she was turned in, and who turned her in? Well, her husband turned her in, Johnny. I'm not sure if Johnny's Jewish, but, it, but to save himself, and possibly to get rewarded in some way, um, or to secure his own release or his own freedom, he 
turned Nellie in, who was hiding. She was hiding on a houseboat. And but Nellie is not able to accept that he did that. And she, I think also she's not sure that he did that. Um so what happens is is that she goes in search of Johnny after the reconstructive surgery. Even though Nina, her friend, tells her, you know, Johnny's Johnny divorced you, you know, before you got arrested and he's the one that turned you in. I don't think Nellie is able to process or absorb that. And she says at some point in the film, she says, the thought of Johnny is what got me through the camp. That's how I survived, was thinking about Johnny and about our love and our relationship. So she was a singer before the war and Johnny was her pianist and so they would perform in, in cabarets and bars throughout Germany and so she goes to a bar called the called Phoenix and that's where the title of the film comes from although you could argue it has other connotations to it as well like a phoenix rising from the ashes you know that sense of survival so she goes in search of Johnny and she meets him but Johnny doesn't recognize her because of her facial reconstructive surgery he so she sort of tries to connect with him or whatever and he decides that he's going to take her and make her look like his wife who he thinks is dead and he's going to try to get his wife Nellie <laughs> Nellie's inheritance by making Nellie look like um Nellie which I know it sounds confusing but he thinks Nellie's dead and so he thinks this woman is a stranger in front of him that he can mold and shape and make look like Nellie so that they can claim her money and her inheritance so there is a twist in this film that's sort of a twist on Vertigo. Whereas in Vertigo, and I haven't seen it in years, so I don't know the exact plot of Vertigo. It was like, I think I watched it in a film appreciation class that I took in high school. Um, but it, Jimmy Stewart's character, I think his wife dies, and he takes this woman, Kim Novak, who looks similar to her and sort of tries to reconstruct his dead wife through this woman in a way and that's sort of what Johnny's trying to do and so what what but and a lot of people have said oh this is not believable this wouldn't really happen well you're missing the point you're missing the point of the film you're missing the point of film in general really if you say things like that um, in this particular situation because for me the best films and this is included Phoenix is included in that the best films the plot may not always be believable this is obviously something that is a bit magical realist in a way or a bit outside of our belief that our suspension of belief right but what Phoenix does is that it's opening a space up for us to think about trauma, the reconstruction of the self in the aftermath of trauma. It's asking us to think about these really big issues and these really big questions, I think, of how do you reconstruct yourself, right? 
how do you go on living after the Holocaust? That's what it's about. So, um, so Johnny takes Nellie in. The she says her name's Esther. She tells him that it, that her name is Esther, and he says, "Well, there's not a lot of women named that left anymore." Imp obviously implying that many Esther is a traditionally Jewish name, um, implying that many of the Jews have been murdered. And um, so, what starts to transpire is him turning Esther into Nellie, and he buys her a dress, and he gets her hair dye so she can go from the gray hair to the brunette. He gives her makeup. He um, gives her high heel shoes to wear and there's this interesting scene where she's trying to walk in the hills. Once again almost like a childlike in a way. She's almost not even able to move her body anymore. Her body has been so brutalized and so violated that she almost doesn't even know how to exist inside her own skin, right? And this is interesting to me in terms of grief as well because I still remember the moment when I was told that my father was dead and the way I describe it is that I sort of went boneless, that I didn't feel my body and it was a traumatic moment for me. I don't know if we necessarily categorize grief as a trauma, but to me it was. It was traumatizing. There is this sense of not being in your body or not knowing how to. It's like there's this rupture. It's like there's this absolute rupture and explosion. Um, and you don't even know how to be in your skin anymore, how to move your body. And there's something that's something similar that you see with Nellie as a traumatized woman of just not even knowing how to walk. She's almost infantile in a way. She's almost like not born yet. Like she doesn't know how to exist, right? But what we see through Johnny's actions and what I think Nellie sees as well is that Johnny never really knew her. That, um,. You know, he can dress her, he can tell her how her hair should be, but where's the core, where's the soul of this woman that he was married to? He doesn't have a clue. He didn't know her. She's standing right in front of him, and he doesn't even recognize her because he never really knew her at all. I mean, if the only things you can conjure about a person or you can remember are like, oh, the way she did her hair or the clothes she wore, that's not a meaningful loving relationship and I think in many ways what's happening as Nellie as Johnny reconstructs Nellie is that I think through Johnny Nellie is trying to reconstruct herself she's trying to rebuild herself piece by piece but she realizes in the process that that is not possible that she cannot find herself through him because all he can tell her is what dress to wear, how to do her hair. He can't tell her how to live again. He can't show her to herself. Because he didn't really know her. And in the end, he never really loved her. And that's what becomes very obvious. 
and it's so ironic and it's and it's very painful and tragic in a way because his love the idea of it that she had in her mind is what got her through Auschwitz it's what helped her survive the death camp was her husband was thinking about Johnny and about how much she loved him and how much he loved her and that's what gave her a reason to live and to survive but that love never existed um, it was never real and it's gone just like her face is gone just like her entire family is gone because Nellie finds out that basically her entire family has been murdered by the Nazis and it's that love and that idea of Johnny the idea of Johnny's love is gone just like Lena is gone because Lena kills herself and commits suicide it's everything she thought she knew is gone and has been obliterated and what do you do that's why I think I'm attracted to films about the Holocaust and I have been since I was very young and in the Sophie's Choice episode I talked about how um, I became obsessed with the Holocaust probably around 10 years old um, when I read the book Memories of Anne Frank by Hannah Gosler I think that's your name and I actually still have the book it's like right in front of me <laughs> on my bookshelf um, and I became obsessed with the Holocaust and so um, so I've watched a lot of films about it and I've read a lot of books about it I mean I'm not an expert by any means but that is why I'm attracted to these films because I think that they're talking about things that are sort of the magnitude that you just can't even put your mind around um, how do you lose your entire family how do you confront death how do you confront horror and violence and um, I think for somebody who's been through trauma who's been through loss those kinds of films and books create a space where you can think about things like that and that's what I think Phoenix is doing is it's asking us to think about what does it mean for a woman to go through Auschwitz what does it mean for her to try to survive and to try to reconstruct herself um, how do you do that can you do it at all really so the ending is one of the best endings ever. I don't want to give it away actually. Although I've given I've given I don't think I've given as many spoilers in this one as I thought, but I think suffice to say the ending is perfect. It's a perfect ending. It's a it's when Nellie realizes that she cannot find herself through Johnny. That she's gonna have to find herself through herself that she is alone that she is on her own and that the work of reconstruction the work of memory the work of mourning um, the work of creating another life or another self um, one that is intimately connected and in conversation with grief and trauma um, 
she will have to do that on her own in whatever way that she chooses to but that Johnny is not part of that journey and and Johnny is of no use to her you know he used her he didn't really love her and he is the reason she ended up at Auschwitz um and in terms of talking about Sophie's choice in relation to this film in relation to Phoenix I think it's interesting because in many ways Sophie turns to a man she turns to the erotic in order to survive after World War II she I, I don't know if a lot of you know about the film but Sophie is a Holocaust survivor she went through Auschwitz and she gets in this very sadomasochistic relationship with a man named Nathan and um and they have a very volatile and violent relationship. Sophie, I think, feeds on that in a way and needs it and feels that that's what she deserves is that kind of violence. Um, she is dependent on Nathan. So she turns very deeply to erotic love, to, to a man. You know, she needs that. Whereas I think Nellie walks away from that. Nellie has to figure out how to rebuild herself, rebuild the ruins um, of herself alone. And um, I would say that's maybe a point of departure between the two films. But both films look at suicide. Um, but especially I was I was glad to see it included in Phoenix that Lena Lena is she's one of those people she didn't even really go through the Holocaust I mean she was in Switzerland I don't think she was sent to a camp or anything but that doesn't mean she doesn't feel pain about losing her family and losing family members and perhaps the guilt of surviving, the guilt of not being able to save the people that she loved. And she does commit suicide and um, a lot of times in Holocaust films there there's this triumphant narrative. Um, there's this, oh we shall overcome, we are going to overcome this horror and be stronger and better than ever. <laughs> So it's the American, you know, view on life, and it may be present in other cultures too. I don't know, but it's rampant here in the U.S. and the positivity that people have—it's just, ugh, it's too much for me, really. Um, so I was pleased to see the character of Lena because I think she's a necessary character. She's a necessary balance to that very positive, treacly narrative of overcoming and of triumph not all of us triumph not all of us make it not all of us survive and it doesn't make us less it doesn't make us bad people um some of us are like nelly some of us are like lena you know some of us are crawling on our hands and knees and it's a miracle that we're here and that we're surviving and that's a valid narrative I think so I've pretty much said everything I wanted to say about this film um, it's a powerful film 
I think it's one of the best films of the 21st century. I think Nina Haas gives a career-defining performance, as I said earlier. I think it's a film about trauma and trying to reconstruct the self. And it's about confronting betrayal. And it's about... It's about survival. What it means to survive. What it looks like to survive. You know, Nina with her gray hair and her frail frame. And survival comes in different forms. And I think, yeah. I had never seen a film quite like this one in the way that it approached the trauma that Holocaust survivors went through, that survivors of the camps especially, both the death camps and the concentration camps, of of what the physical toll of those environments took on the body. You know, Nellie's face is obliterated. You know, her... She's bloody and bandaged at the beginning of the film, and and um she has to survive the pain of that and the fear and she has to put herself back together in some way and keep living and um so i think the film creates a space for us to talk about this to talk about suicide and trauma and survival and all of those really big issues right and so i think that's important and I think that's a worthy conversation to have. And if you've seen the film or if you do see it, I hope that my discussion has added something to it um, or has helped in some way or given you something to think about or to chew on or, you know. I mean, I don't know what happens when I do these episodes or, or what kind of effect they have. Um, but I'll definitely continue doing them as long as I can. And, um... I'm really glad I did this episode. This film is just, it's weird because I watched it in 2015 and I liked it. I thought it was really good. It may have been 2014 or 2015. And I thought, ooh, this is a good film. But then I rewatched it recently after I watched Barbara, which was a Christian Petzold film, as I said earlier, and it also had Nina Haas in it. And, um,. And the male character that plays Johnny is also in Barbara's name's Ronald something. Um, very good looking, very attractive man. I now am like looking for films that he's in, <laughs> just so I can look at him. Um, he's actually in a film on Netflix called Something Fritz Bauer, who was a man who hunted Nazis, who was trying to find Nazis after World War II, and I've been wanting to watch that. It's also a German film, so... I might watch that soon, just to look at Ronald, <laughs> Ronald's face. But, um, so I watched Phoenix again recently, probably like a few weeks ago or whatever, and I was like blown away. It hit me in a completely different way. And it, it's mysterious how that happens, how you'll watch a film and then, you know, it impresses you. You definitely think it's good, but you watch it again and it's like, oh my god, this is astounding like I just saw it in a totally different way and in a deeper richer way in terms of trauma and there's this really great um, 
essay that um that someone recently wrote about phoenix and about trauma and it's like a part of a film an open access film studies journal and i'm going to link to that in the description of this episode and um so yeah i'll definitely do that because it was very eye-opening i thought it was really well written and it talked all about trauma and so i'll definitely share that with all of you so I'm going to stop here. I do appreciate you for listening. Um, if you made it to the end, I always appreciate my listeners and thank you for your support and encouragement. And I will stop here. Um, until next time, keep watching great films. And yeah, thank you. <laughs>